Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet features rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devin Sorrentino? I'm an artist, currently living in San Francisco. In episode 16, longtime friend, writer, energy worker, and political activist Kelly Morton and I talk about an obscure subject known as politics. We discuss how social media has been a campaign game changer and the future of open source polling and how Bitcoin's blockchain can change voting forever. I have Kelly Morton, longtime friend, with me over Skype from Philadelphia to San Francisco. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm good, Leah. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know everything about you. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Okay, I'm, uh, I guess, uh, an energy worker, writer of sorts, a traveler. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am a traveler. (laughs) It's true. A wanderer, that's been said. Those are the main points about me, I guess. I've been a political activist, I guess, for ever since the Iraq war, man. That set me over the edge. I actually remember this, like, pinnacle moment in your life. Yeah, I Uh, was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to take to the streets. (laughs) And I did. It was the first time I marched, was that. So where can people find you online? For my energy works, www.kellymorton.xyz. I think you just Um, dated yourself by saying www. Did I? (laughs) I'm just going to give you all the letters, man. (laughs) As much information as possible. Well, that is the website. That's for energy work. My blog's on there, too, talking about spiritual stuff. You don't want to go to my Twitter thing. It's really just (laughs) Bernie. It's just Bernie all the time. So that's actually uh, an amazing segue, because I shared an article with you about how Bernie supporters have taken over Twitter. And it's not just Twitter. I think that we can acknowledge that Bernie Sanders has officially locked down the social media game in this 2016 election. Yeah. I was going to say, I saw a meme the other day that had like you know the dudes from uh, Fight Club and it was like the first rule of Burn Club is you tell everybody about Burn Club. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe one how quickly this campaign has sprawled over social yeah. media and two how actually long the campaign has felt at the same time. Yes, I agree. It's uh, kind of crazy, uh, especially I remember when Bernie first began to run and a couple of my more excited, super left friends like you, Kelly Morton. I had an Ed McAllister, a few others who are very familiar. (laughs) Um, Shout out to Ed McAllister, (laughs) who lives in Vermont. You know, immediately were like, hooray. But I think that I originally thought it was a joke, to be honest. Yeah, I did. I actually, I went to see Bernie last night. He was here in Philly. And um, I was telling people that I met in line that I had seen him over a year ago. He came to play, or not to play. He came to talk in a a bar in uh, Reading Terminal. And there were like maybe 100 people there. And the purpose for him coming was to, like, he was kind of going around and um, kind of gauging interest in if he were to run for president. And I was one of, like, you know, maybe 100 people there who I actually have a sticker on my fridge that says, like, run Bernie, run for president as a Democrat. Because that was the question. Was he going to run as a Democrat or an independent if he ran? And uh, what was really funny about the event was it was mostly retirees they're there and one man said to me it's good to have like it's good to see young people here and I was like you mean me like what are you talking about? 
And now, you know, we hear all this stuff about the millennials for Bernie, and I'm like, yeah, that's how it should be. That's awesome. It's kind of incredible how his support has shifted. And I think that, yeah. again, it's a it's an attribute of his campaign being so manifesting itself on social media. And not just in terms of, like, Facebook, but Twitter especially, is it's a young man's game. Like, that <laughs> is a social media platform where, like, yeah. my my mom, your mom, everybody's mom is, yeah. is not super fluent in. It, and it gets awkward when they get on it. <laughs> yeah, super awkward, as, <laughs> as we've seen with Donald Trump, who I'm sure we will be talking oh about God. in this, like, social media, more of a debacle type of... Yes stage but it's interesting how social media has also created such duality in my life in terms of having a majority of my feed in all my different platforms at one point being uh, Hillary supporters and then watching them migrate over to Bernie supporters or then watching them them fight amongst themselves it's interesting to see these consistent political conversations that are happening off of a platform that also is attributed to Kim Kardashian's success and all these other uh, media stars. It's created a new dimension. I feel like it's social media has made this election so much more personal. I can see that. It's not like there's never been conversations with candidates about their feelings towards spirituality or there's not been conversations about race issues or gender issues. But because they're put in this arena where the communication around those issues is usually amongst like your personal peers. It makes it feel like these candidates have more impact on our personal lives, which in reality they have incredible impact on our personal right. lives. I feel like people are just kind of starting to get, and, and I, I, you know, I don't want to keep throwing around the word millennials, but I feel like like the younger generation really has an idea about what corruption in politics has done to the system, and also what different platforms have done to their lives and they've become more active more engaged I I honestly think that Occupy Wall Street had something to do with this before this election just kind of planting different seeds in people's minds about income inequality and different things like that I mean it had the anthem of the one percent right which is now ubiquitous into our dialogue we understand what that means immediately and I, I think Occupy Wall Street's a great example of how that movement was also a political movement that got its catalyst from social media. It's interesting to me, and we talked a little bit about this before I started recording, where you see so many uh, articles at least coming up on my Facebook page about like the blackout in the media of Bernie Sanders, but then watching how much content is still created and generated and passed through these smaller communities that are now making up really large conversations. Yeah, it is interesting because, I mean, I don't want to, you know, sound like a total zealot, but I do believe that it, it is not fortunate, the media coverage that Bernie Sanders gets. When you consider how many people go to his rallies, but what you hear about is, you know, Trump's rallies because he's saying crazy things <laughs> and, <laughs> and people are, you know, people are scared of what could come of that. But, you know, it's kind of like fear sells more than like hope does. You know, you've got people who are hopeful about like this massive change and people are like, no, 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 look over there. It's crazy. Like, Yeah. I also think it's interesting that even though there's an attempt possibly at, and I, and I, I think it's not more of a possibility, it's actually a reality, but an attempt to keep Bernie Sanders out of mainstream media because of who mainstream media is probably targeting it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to watch social media combat that, where yeah. there is, if there is an agenda by major 
publications, corporations, broadcasting companies to silence or manipulate. I, and I think it's more about manipulating ratings and audience and clickbait yeah. Uh, yeah, more yeah. than it is about trying to actually silence Bernie Sanders. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I wonder, like, in a different world, if the social media platforms that exist today you know, if this was 20 years ago, where would the dialogue or conversation happen about a media blackout? And yeah, that's true. <laughs> is is uh, the media, are, is it now not as powerful as it once was? Because I, I think about myself, I get almost all of my news through my social media platforms now. Yeah, we, we've, yeah we've had many conversations where I hide most people on my <laughs> on my Facebook feed and then follow. You hit me for like six months, man. I don't even remember why you got the boot either. I think it, it might have been and because it was of even political. Because I can understand if you're like, Kelly, I don't want to hear any more about this. <laughs> I think it might have been during Occupy Wall Street is when you got the boot. You know what? Okay, that's fair. I posted a lot of that. I try to restrain myself because it's like I read things and I'm passionate about it and I'm like oh my god people need to know about this people need to be engaged and like active and then like I'm like okay wait but not everybody wants to like saturate their news feed with this like I do you know so I try to be it's it's a really and I think that again this is what has made this particular election year feel so personal because look at just like the conversation we're having right now where we're kind of in this limbo of you don't want to spam your friends and push your agenda, but then you also want to have conversations that are important to you, but you're trying to think about the sensibility of your friends. And then like, I get very cautious about posting political things online because I don't, sometimes I don't want to expose who I secretly might actually dislike because they're going to give me their really negative opinion on something. I've started getting over that. (laughs) But then on the flip side, in one sense, my social media experience with in particular Bernie's campaign has been this like very inspiring situation whether you agree with Bernie Sanders politics or not the passion that is around it and the community that has been built around it online has been incredibly impressive and inspiring and you can't negate the fact that there are a lot more people at least aware of the political system because of how this campaign has manifested itself I think that aside from the the things that Hillary Clinton uh, the things that Hillary Clinton has done in her career as as one you know avenue of what uh, is a detriment to possibly her campaign, but I think that also she hasn't leveraged social media in the same way. She hasn't created community in the same way. No, I was actually in the past you know couple weeks since we've talked about doing this show together. I've been trying to take a I don't know a look at her social media presence because I knew that I was going to be like leaning heavily towards Bernie, you know? No. So I was like, all right, let me try. <laughs> so I thought, let me try to be like, you know, you know, fair as, as much as fair as I can be. And so, you know, I looked at her social media feed and um, I just didn't see what I see on, on all of the Bernie hashtags that are created, you know, even the ones yeah. that are co-op. Yeah, so I was like, you know, looking at it's just not the same. Like, I mean, it is, you know, um, just a different uh, vibe on, you know, the hashtags that, that her followers use or that her campaign creates. It's um, it's just a really, it feels flat to me, like just on any level. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a writer. I'm, you know, I'm interested in humor. If, if anything was well written or funny, I would acknowledge it no matter sure. who said No, it, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I, was... I, I didn't vibe it. I was thinking about this. I was watching the newest episode of Broad City last night, and Alana in the show 
starts volunteering at Hillary's campaign in New York, and it's this, like, it was really funny, and it's very clear, like, where they aligned to it, and I, I, I totally understood what was going on. And then two things dawned on me is, one, how unreal time the, Hillary's campaign feels. This had to have been shot months ago. The political climate and how Hillary is being perceived in a lot of different demographics is a lot different than when this was created versus when it was aired. And then I went online just to see after that episode aired, what was the political conversation that the characters of the show possibly had to deal with based off of having Hillary on the show. And then ultimately what dawned on me is how archaic that type of campaigning really is. It was thought out too long ago. and It's not reactionary or proactive enough because it's just using traditional, like I saw that not in real time. Everybody else who's participating uh, in that television show when it was created was not in real time. And what message could really be conveyed in the television show that wasn't incredibly generic and slightly impersonal? And that's kind of the danger of having a campaign that's using essentially primitive communication. And relying on it so heavily because like the social media platform of her campaign is just not it's it's not organic or it doesn't feel organic and fresh and lively you know yeah and it's been an incredibly reactionary i think what one of the things that gets really difficult for me because i think that her campaign strategy has been so uh negative is in terms of like my liberal group of friends the debates start to become incredibly one-sided because there's just not enough of a presence of the other side. And maybe that's just because enough people have abandoned Hillary as as their candidate. On the other end of the spectrum, where Bernie Sanders is using social media to its fullest advantage to gain like a essentially a political revolution, whether you agree with his politics or not, the campaign is very revolutionary. There's somebody who is using this very progressive platform in a very archaic and very dangerous way, which is Donald Trump. I was like reading his Twitter to get ready for this podcast, which is, I'm, I'm, oh, literally, I'm literally dumber. Okay? I'm dumber now. It's, okay. I think I, like where I, I can definitely put my, my stick in the sand is, you know, Trump's an asshole. Like that's easy for me to say. Yeah. But reading his Twitter, because it, even if it's not written by him, it feels yeah. so much of his voice and it's so yeah. visceral that it yeah. does create this very personal feeling. Like you really are hearing what he thinks, even though it's despicable things that he's saying. I mean, the passion is there and that's what draws people in. And then right. I've like written about this and we've talked about it a little bit is social media is a great place for celebrities and Donald Trump is a celebrity. Whether we hate him or not, that's what he is. So he can create a show and that's why the traditional media loves him, but then social media also loves him. Right, yeah. I think about how many of my friends have put like some type of making fun of Donald Trump meme on their social platforms and every time I see it, I'm like, this feels like it fuels the bigger fire. I never right. see it as like this insightful thing. I feel like it's right. now part of his campaign in some way. Right. I completely agree. It's like that bad press is press, so it's good press. I mean, like for somebody like him, yes, that's entirely true. And what, yeah, like what gets so difficult is like when you see something negative about Hillary Clinton, it's very factual and pertinent and poignant. 
mm-hmm. which is that's the way it should be, right? When you see something critical about Donald Trump, it's always like a joke. And I think that that's what makes it really hard for him to be attacked. Because if you're just making, like, essentially pot shots, because that's what he does, you're never really taking down, like, the credentials of the man. But then also, who are we taking him down to? I know, know, that's what's so rough. So often we're preaching to the choir. Like, you're, you know, posting something about what an idiot is. All your friends are like, yeah, he's an idiot. And it doesn't really do anything because, our, like you were saying earlier, like our social media worlds are so populated often by people who are kind of in our same yeah, thought process. Yeah, and, and all of the algorithms move to that. And that kind of brings me to the other topic that I wanted to talk about in terms of right now, it's great that we can leverage social media to have these conversations, but we can never actually call them debates. Mm. Uh, Twitter, in the Twitter sphere, you kind of get, because it's in chronological order and in real time, you can have more of a debate forum, but it's limited to the amount of characters, speed, a lot of different things that actually make it not a very fruitful debating platform. So it's like, how do we create spaces where we take these, you know, physical political town forums, our social media communities and bring them up into technology? And you, before we started recording, we're talking about Democracy OS. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also shared with me. Yeah, it's (laughs) (laughs) www.democracyos. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but you, you shared with me like a couple articles and TED Talks about this need of creating political, like putting the whole political process on a platform that is dedicated to debating, that's dedicated to polling, it's dedicated to voting. Um, and information. And that's another thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone online to try to research what a law, like to read a law, oh, to read man. legislation. I tried right? to read like, T, like what was it, the um, TPP or TTP? Or, right. I, even the Panama Papers right now. Like yeah. to get a consistent it's, source on information, it's, it's so... It's overwhelming. And it's crazy because the internet was, it was like this promise of education education and information and it still is that i'm not going to diminish like the what you can get from it but there's something about not having um the fact check right Right. like the consistent source or having our information presented in ways that allows for um like critical thinking right now a lot of my information how i get to it is like there's some type of clickbaity article that will pique my interest and then hopefully i'll start digging and digging but how many people are being that proactive or have the time or and why when we're thinking about like an election year at what point is it like our governing body's responsibility to create these spaces there was a uh, interesting article that you sent me from bitcoin magazine about open source voting and it's been talked about a lot in san francisco and using the blockchain that bitcoin has created to essentially make voting electronic mobile and then allowing it to be open source so people can see the code a a lot of different things to create transparency but also security around voting i think what we're seeing lately is a lot of people having a mistrust in the system and believing that their vote doesn't count and then we also see um, like places like Arizona where their primary was just like a shit show, yeah. you know, and like people were waiting in line forever and like there was questions about whether their votes were counted. People not, you know, ever since Florida, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, like ever like, since the Gore Bush election. so corruptible. To restore a kind of faith in the process, you know, that at least their votes being counted and that it's, it's easy for them to cast it. 
right? And then that kind of accessibility. It drives me crazy when I think that people are not going to vote. Like, even whoever they're voting for, like, I, I sure. don't care. Just like, be a part of the process, you know? Like, we, the more people who are active, like, the more we have a chance to make our government be what we want it to be, you know? So that accessibility and the possibility of online voting being something for that is something really exciting to me. Yeah, um, and I think that it's the responsibility of governing bodies to start ensuring that our voting process looks more like our processes of life. Yeah. And right now, to you know, the Bush Gore, Arizona, all of these examples <coughs> that you gave, is there's no incentive for anyone to change the process because right now it's working for the people who want to get elected, who want to limit people's vote, who want to create class issues in terms of voting and when somebody can vote. It works for all the reasons why it shouldn't. Um, I, you know, when reading the article and it said something along the lines of using my phone to vote, immediately I was like, oh, that's great. Like, he was just thinking, like, if I can bank on my phone, if I trust my money with my phone. Right. right. I I have a friend who, you know, years ago said to me, like, you know what, I don't, like, vote all the time because, you know, it should be easy. Like, it should be as easy as voting for American Idol. And there was part of me that was like, no, it's so important. It should be more important than American Idol. (laughs) Also, American Idol is so stupid. But, like, you know, judgment aside, okay, there is a point to that. Like, I mean, it should be as accessible as possible, you know? Absolutely. It should be more important than American Idol. It's funny that you bring up that American Idol example because I remember somebody saying, like, more people voted for American Idol than they did the president. I was like, yeah, because you could text it. Of course they did. Because it behooved Fox to make this easy for people. And that's what I don't understand when it it becomes, I mean, like, we still get into legislative battles about who can vote and what qualifications they need to vote, let alone, and I'm always thinking, like, who are these people that they're worried about coming to vote and swaying, like, who cares if an anonymous person goes and votes? Who cares if an unregistered voter votes somehow? Like, what what are we really thinking that this is, this is going to well, do? Well, they don't. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, we saw that in PA because we had, like, voter ID laws. And then somebody, like, was like, what are the cases of fraud that have happened in PA? And it was, like, non-existent, you know? So that wasn't their intention for creating that law. It was, you know, voter suppression. And, I and think, we see it yeah. all over. And I think that's why what, what was interesting to me about using the blockchain is that it's trackable like Mm -hmm. there's no question in terms of did somebody vote incorrectly um illegally or did like you were saying before was it counted we could we could see through code that it that it existed there was a um one thing that i found interesting that is in the article that it seems like is more prevalent as a acceptable thing in European countries is being able to give your vote essentially because if you're using this like somebody else yeah yeah, if you're using Bitcoin um, technology essentially how the voting would work is that coins would be essentially used to then put into candidates or you know legislative wallet like this Mm -hmm. just for clarity for people who are listening (laughs) but the idea that if it's really kind of embodying this type of coin thing that like okay I don't feel that I'm informed enough about a candidate, but Kelly is incredibly informed, so I'm going to give my coin to her, so my vote is still cast, but I don't have the pressure of trying to figure this situation out. I found and it... And also, if, yeah. you're, Continue. if you're voting for a specific issue, 
You know, like, yeah. say you have, like, four things on the ballot to vote for, like, in the city, just in the city, you know? Like, one thing about, you know, education, another about, like, trash removal, different things. And you're like, okay, well, I'm really passionate about education, and I know where I stand on that, but, like, these other three things I don't know about, but, like, you know, I have friends who are, like, deeply involved in making this work a different way. So I'll give that to them. You know? Sure. Because we live in a very consumer-based society, essentially what that does is create our vote into a commodity. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in what type of impact that would have in terms of, like, I always feel like with manipulation, where there's a yeah. will, there's a way. Yeah. And right now, because we have um, such class disparity, how yeah. easy it would be to manipulate that situation with fiat currency, with actual money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that is the one scary potential of, to, to me, of that ideology. Can you imagine mm -hmm. in a world where people have campaign funds and then they spend it to get people's voting <laughs> coins, right? Like Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, you, you've, you've gone straight to the, you know, the future evil of voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've skipped yeah. over like our utopia <laughs> of Bitcoin voting. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone straight to how they're going to corrupt it again. <laughs> like, uh, I think a lot of times with technology, technology moves so quickly that sometimes it's hard for us to contemplate the risk of implementing something new with technology. In conversations where I've heard about this open source voting, there's been so much debate about the security of it and not as much discussion about how it will actually impact um, users, sentiment, uh, and economy around voting. Right now, I think that people are comfortable with this idea that I go into a booth and I, I it, it's familiar, right? And if they don't, but it also is very exclusionary in terms yeah. of if we're relying on history, there's been huge segments of the United States population who have not have a historical precedent of voting. I mean, women included. It's yeah. not like we were baked into this system with any thought. My lady parts, when this system became a thing, were not invited. Nope. <laughs> I, and perhaps they still aren't, Leah, let's be fair. No. <laughs> legislated. I was, uh, for a small tangent that still relates to the internet, you yeah. talked about um, essentially when we're talking about Trump and trying to criticize Trump, I started to think about you criticize him, but then who goes in his place is just as evil. Um, they are just not as tan. What really <laughs> scared me was a video, Rachel Maddow, talked about recently there's been a ton of clickbait around jo Donald Trump saying that women should be incarcerated who have abortions. Right. And essentially that is what we are always saying when we criminalize, if we criminalize abortion. Like okay. it, it's not, uh, I, I actually wanted to defend Donald Trump in saying like, hey man, he actually just told us the truth. Everybody yeah. else skirts around this. <laughs> I kind of had the same reaction. It was it was something like, okay, obviously he's a sleazeball and all the things, but the whole Republican Party is yeah, this is their stance. The thing, but they're saying it in a very subtle way, or sometimes not so subtle, but a more subtle way than Donald Trump, which isn't yeah. difficult to do. But it's covered, you know. And I was thinking, I think. Chris Matthews specifically asked him the question, Yeah, do you think it should be punishable? And I'm like, I wonder, has anybody ever asked Ted Cruz or Mitt Romney or anybody else that same question? 
in that very like you cannot answer this but anything but a direct way yeah. so i was watching this this rachel maddow video online and first i saw that it was 17 minutes long so to go back to how <laughs> media formats have like i almost didn't watch it because i was like 17 yeah, sure. whole minutes of my life yeah. oh that's ridiculous but i did so i started skipping around it because i wanted to hear parts of it and what she eventually talked about was how essentially even if you have a miscarriage your miscarriage and body become evidence in a crime yeah. and it I never thought about it that way and it literally scared the like I was like in yeah. bed and like pulled my covers up I was like oh, oh my, my god. god they're after my uterus what I know, do I right? do and that's those are the moments where I thought about this a lot. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the or see the movie Spotlight. Academy Award winner, you should check it out. But it was a good movie. I know that people got hyper-focused on the conversation that it was trying to have about uh, priest molestation in Boston. But what that movie made me realize, and this conversation is making me realize, is print is dying, um, the printed word, and our traditional forms of media are are dying or they're changing very rapidly based off of how people interact with content online but the one thing that's also dying with this is long-form journalism Mm -hmm. and how scary it is that there are no large institutions that are funding investigation it is scary I I 100% (laughs) agree with you. And it's like, even though, you know, it can be comfortable at a time, you know, politically when everybody around you is shouting Bernie back at you, I want you know, some kind of just factual news program. Like, like just these are the facts that we, we are reporting. And I don't want to be um, left biased, right biased, any of this stuff. Like, I, I want investigative journalism. Yeah. And, you know, I would watch, like, Newsroom and be like, okay, except for Aaron Arkins or what was that, Aaron Sorkin, except for his, like, misogynist, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. take on women. I wish the Newsroom was a real show. Like, I mean, the totally. way that they approach a story, it's like, oh, remember? Remember that? I mean, I don't. <laughs> like, I barely yeah, and I don't even that. know if that ever truly existed, but that I, I, I thought about that a lot. God, I talk about The Wire way too much in this show. <laughs> For the last season of The Wire, which was all about the newspaper and like how important integrity and like investigation is. That's what I think about this a lot in terms of when I see every all of my friends online posting all of this content about Bernie Sanders. Uh, the immediate critic in me is now so skeptical of everything. Yeah. And you, you have to be because there's yeah. no place to get facts. So like you have to believe like, okay, everything's opinion or hype or manipulation. Yeah. You know? And because who I'm seeing all this content from are from very emotional sources. People who have feel left out or scorned or it's been very interesting moving to a city that has been dealing with a lot of political and uh, financial unrest because Mm -hmm. I'm not from here, San Francisco, I'm not from San Francisco. I'm looking at it from a very neutral eye and trying to have that conversation here neutrally is impossible and understandably. And that's how I feel about this election this year is that there's been a several times where I completely agree with somebody's sentiment around the conversations that they're having with uh, about Bernie Sanders, but then their tone and the way that they've unpacked it makes me feel defensive as a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's no space, and to go back to that idea of uh, like Democracy OS, like creating spaces where we can't have, like where is the non-emotional forum? Or where is the forum that allows for somebody to have an opinion that's a, 
that's against the stream, right? right? I like was thinking the other day on like my Facebook wall of asking somebody like, can I, can I, I want to hear somebody's pro Hillary stance. Yeah. And then I realized I was like, if I do that though, then I'm saying that I want to be convinced to vote for Hillary. No, what I'm hearing is I, I want to hear the opposition and right. I have no space to hear the opposition. Yeah, space. Oh my, space is the perfect word. Yeah. There needs to be more space because <laughs> I feel like that when people are like, you can't, you can't be a Bernie supporter so hard because the election is going to come. He's not going to be the nominee and you're going to have to vote for Hillary. So just get on the program now. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to need more space. Okay. I have three weeks before I even vote in the primary, you know, like, and then, you know, months before the actual election. So like, I'm going to need more space, but I understand also what you mean. And, and I've tried to like read myself, right? Like when I was reading Hillary's Twitter, you know, or not her Twitter, but I was kind of like searching I'm with her hashtag. Sure. I was like, why are these people? Like, for me, I, I sometimes assume that it's because they don't see the political corruption as um, either a problem or a big enough problem or something that can be fixed. That's my usual, like, but I was like, you know what, maybe there's an, uh, there's, there are tons of other reasons that I'm just blind to, you know? So I was, you know, reading the Twitter, but it's kind of like, I would rather have a conversation where somebody just was able to say it without telling me that I, I needed to vote for her or else Trump was going to be president. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? it's really difficult. I think about that in terms of even trying to understand uh, why somebody would vote for Trump or Ted Cruz or, or any of them those characters we especially in the like liberal i mean both of us are liberals i think that's a fair way to characterize us it's an assumption that most of the time that somebody's dumb right like if if you're voting for that person you're dumb and that immediately shuts down any type of dialogue i don't think that anybody could have a productive conversation on social media at least on my facebook page if somebody was saying i openly support trump and i saw a buzzfeed article where they had people uh, on their staff write post on their facebook wall that sounded legitimate of why they were supporting Donald Trump Mm -hmm. to see what type of conversation would come about or see if anybody within their community would agree. And it seemed like a more maniacal (laughs) exercise, a social exercise. But I think about how, how can you ever convince somebody who's voting for Hillary or Bernie or Trump or cruise in this new world without it being an attack (laughs) how can you do it even when me and you have had dialogues where i've tried to ask you questions in terms of like my experience with bernie supporters and your experience with bernie supporters it's immediately in a an arena of we have to defend our stances and that's you know like i don't i don't know how to push through our platforms will not challenge that our platforms right. will continuously use algorithms to present us content that we think that they think will will like and yeah. that will validate our opinions and that's that feels really good for people because for a long time we existed in a world where we were told um, how to think and now we're being marketed to how people think we want to think. So it's mm-hmm. like this new like lovey-feely way, but it's still very short-sighted and very not challenging. Yeah. And this is an yeah. election year that we really need to be challenged. Yes, totally. And and I think there's, I feel like personally I'm missing some kind of level education. I'm missing journalism, basically. I'm missing media that is 
just balanced and not trying to sell a story or create hype or manipulate. And um, which actually brings me back to the idea of the Democracy OS website or the, the platform of it mm -hmm. in the idea of what legislation does. You know, we were talking about how difficult it is to kind of figure out what's going on, you know, and like what a law means or what it would do. One of the things, the way that it was used before was everything, every law that went into, you know, Congress, I think it was a, in South America, was explained in a very level way by a lawyer or, you know, somebody who was a professional in the field in a very easy to understand way. Sure, like more anecdotal. They just kind of broke it down. And from there, so there was a platform for that. Then there was a platform for people to debate it. And then there was a platform for people to vote. And I'm like, that, <laughs> those three, like, I mean, you're right. We need to work on our debate skills. You know, there does need to be more space. It needs to be a, you know, passion is good, but there needs to be some kind of space sure. for people to be able to say how they feel or what they think or why they approve of something and why they don't um, in a way that's not so visceral <laughs> and a little bit. But I think that so many people kind of feel that this, the times are such that, you know, passion is needed. You know, and you're seeing that, that way far in the left with Bernie supporters who are like, everything's broken. And then you're seeing it way far on the right where people are like, everything's broken. Look at these women walking around like they're people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, look at these minorities. And it's, yeah. it's like, so these two like extremes are like, everything's broken, you know? And then you've got like the moderates who are like, everybody calm down. Like, we're just going to keep it the way it is. And it, it just is like a time where, you know, there is just a lot of a lot of passion flying around and not a lot of, you know, factual, calm information. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a lot of passion and a lot of uncertainty. Leave it there. <laughs> Leave it there with passion and uncertainty. And Leah terrified of Donald Trump and like pulling her covers off. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time and talking to me about this. As somebody who's very passionate about politics, I was really excited to hear your take on the Internet's impact on it. One more time, where can people go to find out about your energy work, read your blog, experience <laughs> Kelly the way I possibly experience Kelly? www.worldwideweb. KellyMorton.xyz. Was that modern enough for you? That was really <laughs> modern. Thanks so much, Kelly. You're welcome. Thanks, uh, Leah. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Help other people discover this podcast by rating Lee and the Internet on iTunes. As always, please share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the internet and on the blog at leeandtheinternet.com. You can also find the show on facebook.com slash internet.